Welcome to Lost in Translation, episode 14 with Bobby Martin. I'm Sam Perkins. Today we're joined with a super impressive guy. I uh, can't say young man because we're all old, but uh, Chris Bruff. Uh, Chris played uh, Division One hoops at the University of Maine. Uh, I've never seen a fat man jump so high at that level before in my life. Uh, or since. I now. am certainly now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, but Chris is a really uh, interesting and I think really remarkable story. He's from Connecticut, outside of Hartford, from Bloomfield, went to the University of Maine, uh, was really didn't play much his first two years, really. He just buried on the depth chart there. Gets some playing time as a junior. Senior year is monster. Um, and then goes on to become a teacher. Uh, and and has been teaching for for a very long time now. Um, and I I just I think the world of teachers. I I was a teacher for the better part of a decade, um, and I, I'm no longer teaching. And Chris is still has stuck it out through everything COVID, everything going on. Um, and I just I feel like you know it's really important to to acknowledge teachers and to give, I'm just so happy that we have a teacher that can come on here and talk because I just think there's so many misconceptions and, and would love to get the perspective and the added perspective of Chris being both black and male, which, you know, statistically, there aren't nearly enough black teachers in our country and there aren't nearly enough black male teachers in our country, I think. Um, so Chris, I'm just really happy to, to have you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Obviously, I've known you for years. Um, did get a little playing time as a sophomore. Started a few games. Didn't okay. play a lot, but yeah, college was fun. Yeah, you played for Giannini your first two years. First year. Oh, first year. I had Ted Woodward for sophomore, junior, senior year. So Dr. John. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby knows, <laughs> knows G. What was it like playing for for John G, G, Giannini? For those who don't know, by the way, uh, curb your enthusiasm. Uh, Giannini has the exact same voice as. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> but what was that like? Because he is an interesting guy. It was different. Let me tell you that. It was very different. Being recruited by one person and then seeing them as a coach is very different. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, that's part of my advice. As, as a coach, I also coached as well to uh, Lexington right. High, yep. the freshman team. And all the guys, you know, that they go up, as soon as they you know, start getting letters as soon as they start doing whatever, I've always told them, like, come reach out to me. I, I have lots of advice to give you. Things that some people might not share with you. And that is one thing that I wish someone had told me before, especially before you commit. Like, you know, they talk to you. They, say, yep. they give you all the good stuff. I got good advice on that. But I wish someone had just said, like, ask to watch a practice. Like, like go to a game. You yep. see a practice. I did not see a practice. I committed early. And, um, like, like, go to a practice. Yeah, it's... Right? it's... Um, like, go, go watch them. Ask them if you can go into the locker room <laughs> during... One of the games, if you could, you know, I know it's not always possible, but if it is, like, just just go in and see that because uh, it's different. Yeah, you really want to see coaches in their natural habitat when they're they're not putting on their best possible mm -hmm. front. I will so. say what I really appreciate about Coach G uh, was that he really stuck to his thing, right? Like, like his big thing was. You gotta win the defensive glass. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are. Everyone's got a defensive rebound. Like I, I appreciated that. You know, it's a good, solid principle. Uh, his other big thing was the ball's gotta go in before we get a shot up. Now basketball's not played that way very much anymore. Yeah. But at the time, like that was pretty typical. Like feed the big man in the post, and then make sure there's some play action. Make sure you're moving. Um, and then, I mean, you know, just from watching 
old school Maine. That, that's what you'll see. The ball always goes in. The ball gets kicked out. Mm -hmm. Run this whole secondary offense. It, it's, it's like that, uh, that run the ball down your throat, like the way mm -hmm. the Giants used to play, right? Like, like you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a team that's almost there, right? Like you're yep. going to get a team that's, that's going to win some of those games that are tough. Mm -hmm. uh, you might beat one of the best teams once or twice. You'll definitely beat the crappy teams. But um, that, you know, that's what it was like. The ball's not coming out nearly as much when it goes to Mark Flavin. No, no, no. Well, especially not when it gets swung that way. <laughs> no, no. I mean, and think about it. If the ball got kicked out, it's not going back in. <laughs> if your rule is throw the ball in first, the ball's not going back. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Bobby coached Flav for, for, for a while in the summers, and yeah. yeah. He's not known for his passing. No, no. He was, uh, yeah, he, he was interesting as a player because I'd never seen a big guy like that not be able to jump. He'll tell you. Hey, Blaze Burt was like 13 inches. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Sad. I have his I have his like one college dunk on film too, which is pretty amazing because I think he only had one of them. Yeah, he would dunk yeah. sometimes and practice you know, you would rag on him and he'd get up and he'd dunk and whatever. He's hilarious though. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um so how did you wind up at Maine? From, uh, well, let's take it back, actually. Let me, let me rewind that. You know, tell me about growing up in Bloomfield, Connecticut. You know, what was what was life like? What were you like? What were you, why basketball? I mean, you're like, you're big, but you're, you know, 6'3 is not 6'4, 6 6'2, 6 whatever. Yeah. They list you at something Pro program that's height, somewhere. Six, three and a yeah. half. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. so you're not taller than 6'3 and a half no. if that's your program No, height. I mean, with lifts in my shoes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, so if that's, that's for a normal human being, like, hey, it's a big guy, but for a, that's not like, oh my God, basketball player yeah. size. So how does well, that? Well, you know, in real life, right, like, si I'm argument 6'6'2, six, six, right? 6'1 six, yeah. and three quarters, you yeah. round up to 6'2 there. Um, I'm big. I'm taller than most people, right? Like I got broad shoulders, yeah. I, and back in the day, I could jump really high. Uh, I was very athletic, very quick, good what hands. What was your vert? Uh, Thirty-six. Ooh. Did yeah. you have no idea? Ooh. This was a six-two-inch shoes, like power forward, mm -hmm. who that the dunk. I don't mean to get sidetracked, yeah. but Harvard seven-foot-one oh, Brian Cushworth. Okay. You came up, put back. He came over seven-one. Caught it, cocked it back, and banged it like. And the the dude was in between him and the hoop like this, and it was one of the best dunks I have so, ever seen. You know, I'm I'm not sure what era this was, but this sound this sounds like William Herndon mm -hmm. from UMass. UMass, that's exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Oh, it's like scary like Chris there. was. He yeah. was. He was. Uh, okay. He was the America East version of Charles Barkley. Like, that's who he was. Much respect. Uh, Much respect. Appreciate that. Um, so, for me, basket. I mean, you know, um, if you go all the way back, both my parents are from Jamaica. And in the Hartford community, pretty much most of the black people that you run into are from some island. Mm -hmm. like, you mm -hmm. would expect to hear Patois yeah. everywhere you go. Um, you know, most of the stores are that way now. Uh, growing up, you know, there'd be a bunch of Jamaican bakeries in different places. You kind of had to go into Hartford to get it. But um, originally, um, my grandmother's brother, so great uncle, uh, had come in as a farm worker. Uh, one by one, you know, once he got his green card and he got his citizenship, he started applying to get his sisters in and his brothers in. My grandmother was the first one to get in, so then she started to file for all her kids to come in. So eventually she came, my mom came, and then my dad, and then they had a family here in Connecticut. So it was like a very, I would say very, very close-knit family. My mom's got, you know, six siblings that, that live up in the area, um, a ton of cousins, right? So 
you know, when it came to having like a close knit family, that, that was it. You know, you expect on Saturday once we go out to play sports. After that, you go to a aunt's or uncle's house. You just walk on the door. Right? You, you grab whatever's in the fridge and just kind of go after it. Uh, but my parents were, especially my dad, was very into soccer. And I don't know if you've ever played soccer, but there's a lot of running in soccer. Yeah, <laughs> right? there really is. Um, yeah. It's cold during yep. the, during the fall when you play soccer. That's why I wasn't spring. interested in soccer. <laughs> right? If you have allergies, you don't want to be playing soccer. Right. So for me, it was an easy one to kind of give up. Didn't really like my coach that much in high school for soccer. Um, uh, I played baseball, loved that, but basketball was just a lot more fun. I actually didn't start playing organized till like fourth grade. Wow. But, um, you know, I had an older brother who beat me all the time. Every kid in the neighborhood was older than me. So it made, you know, when you talk about like me jumping, me playing, and being tough, there was no choice, right? There was either you get made fun of by your brother, you either lose to your brother and all his friends, or you have to like practice and hopefully beat them one day, right? So and that was always my thing. Um, I also got really fortunate with coaches. Uh, a lot of the coaches that I grew up with, especially in soccer, a lot of them played for different national teams in the Caribbean. Uh, a lot of my coaches here in the States um, that were from here either played college for sure, they all played, um, you know, some got some tea in the, in the pros. Mm -hmm. So it was, I was really, really fortunate to always have good coaching. Um, and then when I made it to my high school, um, I got really lucky. Uh, one, <laughs> as I came in as a freshman, I always tell the story to my, to my players. Uh, when I came in as a freshman, my brother told me I should try out for the varsity team. You know, he went to Avon Old Farms, so he didn't go to my high school, and I was like, all right, yeah, my brother won't know. Like, I just lied. I was like, yeah, I tried out for the team. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not going to try out. <laughs> this team's amazing, right? But I told him, I was like, yeah, I tried out. Um, you know, they have the tryouts. I, I get put on the JV squad, and um, one of the varsity players decides that, you know, for whatever reason, he's going to transfer out. He ends up going to New Britain High, ended up, at Siena. So he's a tough player, right? But he left. Uh, another kid quits the team. He's like 6'7". He wants to become a DJ. <laughs> okay. Another kid uh, entered some wager, I think, with his dad. And because he didn't follow up with the wager, you know, he didn't get whatever it was, he couldn't play for a few weeks. Something with grades, right? So there's three guys now, right? A senior um, sprains his ankle in the first week of, like, um, you know, when they're scrimmaging. Yeah. Right. Another senior sprains his ankle again in the first game. Five dudes go down, right? <laughs> and that's my freshman year. Wow. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it's my chance. And, um, you know, my, my varsity coach, Coach Marabella, was like, hey, you know, like, this is an opportunity. Most kids don't get this. Yeah. Like, you do. I'm like, what are you going to do with it? I was like, man, I'm going to play. <laughs> like, so now all of a sudden, I'm a freshman. In the first game of the year, you know, we're playing against um, Bloomfield High, like, the, my town. That I, you know, that I will go to the high school, but I'm playing there. I have no fear. I'm like, why not? Let me just go after it. Like, these are the kids that are my brother's friends. Like, screw these kids. <laughs> I'm gonna go at them, right? <laughs> uh, end up scoring like five points in the game. I'm, I'm playing okay. Um, we play the next game at Trinity College against Marianapolis Prep, and they're tough. Mm -hmm. uh, get my first dunk in the game. I'm hyped. As a freshman. Yeah. Nice. Right. Nice. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know that feeling, right? You break it down the court. You had to steal. They, they went. You know, we're in a two-three zone. They threw it over the top. <laughs> Hit it out to half court. Two dribbles. Rose up and dunked it. Right. <laughs> nice. Loved it. Um, but like, to me, I was like, I, I don't have a choice, right? Like playing with all these older guys. That was like the neighborhood, right? That was like what I told you yeah. about growing up with my brother. Um, you know, I played varsity soccer that year and almost led the team in scoring. So 
Like for me, it was always always play from behind. You're always the small guy. You're always the young guy. You're not the guy who people are expecting. So, anyways, we won the ones, we won the states that year. I was like the second, you know, seventh player to play. Um, and then after that, it was like I'm gonna play. I have no choice. I have to play. Uh, we ended up. I didn't play much. My coach, I don't know for what he. I, I respect his decision. When we made it to the state finals, he had told me um, after the game, he's like, "We always play the seniors in the in the state final game." So here I am, like the ball would go out of bounds, right? At any point in the first quarter, me and this other kid, Kamani, would come off the bench, and that was it. We never came out of the game. Right? <laughs> the ball goes out of bounds. I'm sitting, I'm waiting. I'm like, Coach, we, am I going? Am I am I going to play? Right? And um, I, I played less than two minutes wow. in the entire game. We won. Wow. But I was disappointed. I like I literally untied my shoelaces. Everyone's like celebrating. I was like, I need to be back here. Like I have to come back and play. I need to play. That this still goes yeah. on. That that type of coaching still yeah. goes on. Coaches, will you please stop that bullshit? <laughs> yeah. Put the kid in. He can play. Come on. Sophomore year, we played the same team in the finals, Trinity Catholic, right? Um, and we lose to them in the semifinals, right? So now I'm like, dude, I well, I get back there. So that summer, me and a bunch of dudes, you know, they, we, we'd graduated like four seniors. We'd like led the, led the state every game and like scoring, right? So no one's counting on us to be any good. All of a sudden, I'm like, all right, like, can we commit? Like, can we do this? You know, we worked out all summer. Dudes came back in great shape. Uh, we ended up winning the states that year. I'm like, I will be the best player on the court. <laughs> and then same thing with senior year. I was like, well, I can't lose now. Running my mouth to all the guys in my AU team, like, like I'm not losing now. So I mean, for me, I mean, that, that's kind of like the basketball yeah. thing, right? Like, never back down. Always, yeah. always find a way to play. Wow. So, I mean, I I know that you you put up numbers in high school, and I'd heard about that. But basketball is it's changed a little bit now. Well, I mean, it's changed a lot now at the NBA level, where it's a li- it's more positionless. It's less how big are you? It's like what you can do. Um, but for a really long time, basketball was like. You need to you need to look the part to get you know we need our centers to be yeah. to be you know seven footers we need our power forwards to be six ten we need our, you know you're you're a six two you know in high school I'm sure you played you could you could be guard you could be play the one through the five in high school mm-hmm. would be my guess um, but when you look at like what translates to the next level like you weren't a big time shooter so like being a one or a two. Like you really, when all was said and done, you were really like a monster of a four man, but like six two. Mm-hmm. How hard was it to get recruited? Was that working against you because you didn't, you didn't necessarily have a, a a like position at the next level that you were kind of a positionless player before it was really in vogue mm-hmm. to have have those guys. So I think that what's really tough is like a lot of players, especially when they're getting recruited, you you just don't. It's really hard to compare your talent. So. Like when I was getting recruited, a lot of people were like, "All right, you know, with your height, you need to be a point guard." Yeah. Like, All right. Well, I don't have the point guard ball handling. Yeah. Like, I can I can guard them. Yeah. But I can't I can't handle the ball like that. Uh, I also didn't shoot it like you said. Yeah. Um, but I shot a whole lot more in high school than I did in college, not because of like I didn't feel like I couldn't make that shot, but just what I heard. Yeah. Right. When coaches like you don't shoot it like Kevin. Right. Well, yeah. No shit. I don't shoot like Kevin. Yeah. Like Kevin, Kevin didn't even hit the rim. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kevin Reed was an, was an incredible shooter. Right. Yes. Like, all right. You're comparing me to the best shooter in school history. Yeah. Yeah. Every time he's open, I'm gonna hit him. Right? Yeah. In fact, I'm gonna set a screen so he can get open. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's that's the way I looked at basketball. 
Um, so, like, I, I didn't take a lot of threes in college. One, because, like, I didn't really need to either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I needed to, yeah. Also, I'd never got the gas to be like, oh, you should do this. You know, coaches were always like, you got to put in the work. I'm like, well, like, you see me play during individuals. I kick that kid's ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm knocking out shots all the time. You watch us play, pick up. You see me knocking these shots down all the time. Yeah. Right? You see me do it in practice, and then guys will be like, why don't you do it in the game? I'm like, well, because he says if I miss this, I'm coming out. Why would I shoot it? No pressure. Why would, why no would, pressure. Why would I even bother? I'm <laughs> like, I'm trying to play. You know, so there's a little bit of that. And I also think, I mean, too, with also getting recruited, um, it was crazy, man. Crazy, crazy story. I had a great summer going into junior year. Like I said, we were guys that I play with, super committed. We'd gone out to the Eastern Invitational, the, the camp, mm-hmm. uh, killed it there. Uh, leaving the camp, I had 11 D1 offers walking out of there. Um, going into junior year, I had a bunch. I had all of them still. But I was like, you know, some of the advice that I had gotten from other people, uh, especially like big-time football players in my town, a lot of the dads who, who had coached me growing up, one of them gave me great advice, which was like, if they will not talk to your parents on the phone, right, like make, mm-hmm. your, fo- make your parents your gatekeepers. This is before cell phones, right? Mm-hmm. So like make them call the house and make sure that they talk to your parents before they talk to you. If they don't talk to your parents, then they are not worth their salt. Cut mm-hmm. them out, Right. Uh, you know, they gave me the whole list of like, where do you want to go? I wanted to make sure I could go somewhere. My dad could always drive to go to a game. Yeah. So that basically meant like the Northeast region. Uh, I wanted to, you know, we got to have some TV games. So that cut out a lot of schools. Yeah. But um, I had 13 total offers going into senior year. And they were all pressuring me to sign early. And it was September, like the first week of school. And like each week I lost one. So by the time it was like mid-October, um, I had two offers left, and that was Sacred Heart and UMaine. And my coach is like, "So what do you?" And my head coach is like, "What do you want to do? Like, you know, you could prep if you want." It's like, you know, it's like you're probably in the running for Player of the Year if you play like you normally do for Connecticut. Um, so you could prep. I was I was 16 at the time, right? Yeah. I was going to turn 17 by the end of yeah, the year. Young. So he's like, "If you did it, that'd be fine." But my brother went to prep school. I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I already knew that ahead of time. Like, I'm not going to go. Um, so it, it left me with, I could wait to the end of the year. And my advice that I had heard from everyone was, if you sign with a school after the season, that's because something happened in their program. Mm-hmm. They didn't get the guys that they wanted, so you're not who they want. Yeah, They're going to fill that spot soon. So for me, I was like, all right, I got one of these two schools. I went on a visit. Uh, UMaine visit was awesome. Loved it. I still stand by my choice. <laughs> it was, yeah. I still think it was a really good choice. I, all the same reasons that I liked about it when I committed, I loved it when I left, and I still like it now. Uh, when I went to Sacred Heart, uh, not to throw shade, but it was a horrible visit. Absolutely horrible. Mm. Uh, slept on the floor Ooh. <laughs> of the dorm room. Yeah. Uh, one of my teammates was there, and um, you know we had a good time. We played some pickup, me, him, his roommate, and the, they, another guy from my team from my high school. We went on a visit together. They treated him like dog shit. It was terrible. Oh. They they wanted him to be a walk-on. And I didn't know how they treated walk-ons, like coaches. Yeah. I had no idea. So when I saw them, like, they didn't even talk to him. They didn't yeah. even, like, really address yeah. him. They were like, he was just like, he was just like another body. Yep. I was like, how are you going to treat someone like this? Like, how, you think I want to come play here? Yeah. Right? So I, I still stand by the choice. Um, so for me, it was like a no-brainer for Maine. Um, but when I got there... You know, you see these guys, you know, who can really shoot it. So I'm like, all right, well, I can play the two. I can't shoot it like Kev. Yeah. Like, I can for sure play the three. Yep. 
And the reason why I played the four in college is because no one would rebound. I know. Right? Flav had graduated. Yeah. Dubes had graduated. We had these big dudes like you, right? Like 6'10", 6'7", 6'9", who could jump. When they were gone, no one would rebound. Yeah, your, right. your, uh, yeah. your junior and senior years, yeah, you guys had nobody rebound. We were small. That's, That's right. right. So it turned into like, all right, if I'm taking your jump ball in D1 in college— it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, but with a forty. Now I won them. Yeah. I won, but I won them, right? Yeah. So I won them. I so what? You jumped yeah. jump today. But like, so that was the thing, right? Like, so when like me and the the two guard and so Kev often led the team in rebounding. Yeah. Then I was second, and yeah. then our big. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. and Kev's like, even, like yeah, I'm, I'm, a, Kev, I'm gonna go get it. Kev's yeah. even. Kev's even a little shorter than you. Kev's shorter than me. Yeah. And and. And by the time you guys were upperclassmen, Kev couldn't jump anymore. Like I yeah, know, I knew Kev. Yeah. I knew Kev in high school when, when me and him were in high school at the same time. Like yeah. Kev could jump back yes. then, but yeah. like, by the, but that him leading the team in rebounding, you second in rebounding, and this is like six foot and six two. Six, right, you know, right, right. Is, so, is crazy. But I could always play in the post, right? You know, and you know, I learned the drop step. I learned the. Yeah. You know, who didn't learn the dream shake growing up? Yeah. Right. Like. <laughs> I'll learn. I'll never forget. In high school, my coach was like, "If you can do something that no one else can, no one, they won't. You won't be able to come off the court." Right. Right. So I'd learned one year, one year because I saw this one kid do it. Um, he learned. He was doing the drop step and just doing it right into a hook. And I was like, "Shit, man! Like, if I could do that, like, I could jump higher than him. <laughs> like, I'll make it." So I got the right hand jump hook. And then one day I was like, "Well, if they always know I'm going to go right, I should be able to do it left." So I got the right. I got the left. And I was like, "Oh, if I can do this, I could do the fadeaway." So I learned the fade going right, learn it going left. I was like, if I do that, I just do up and under. So I had the package because I put it in, I put in the yeah. work. So when I got to college and you post some dude up that's like your size, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one, they don't expect it. Two, I can jump higher than them. And three, I move like a guard. So now I'm playing the four and it's small. I'm undersized. But if you can, if coach can get away with it, as, you can as, get away with it. As, yeah. a, you know? as yeah. a senior, Chris shot 55% from the floor as a 6'2 player. Yeah. That's and in conference, I think you were above sixty. I was above sixty. Yeah. Wow. In conference play. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How many shots a game did you take? He took. He took. I uh, like eleven, twelve. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh. Like he was. Oh, just a nightmare. He was, uh, did not miss, and yeah. it was crazy. Six two power forward, like being guarded by dudes. You know, like yeah, six my, eight, six nine. My thoughts. And he just didn't miss. Still to this day, are if you take a shot, I expect I expect it to go in. Right. <laughs> right. Like I'm, I wouldn't just put it up. So every shot was like, all right, got to be balanced. You got to. Put it off, um, get them off balance. But my whole thought, like the way I played, was if I have a guard on me, I will post them up. Mm-hmm. If I have a big, I'm gonna go stretch them out. I feel like if I played in today's basketball, I would kill kids. Oh yeah, because right? you were still I mean, I, playing when when people had to have traditional positions. You know, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I would love it now. I'm like on the wing, get the ball on the yeah. floor. Oh, love it. it. I love it. I have a couple of memories of you as a player, distinct memories, which is the putback at Harvard, yeah. which was insane. You still owe me that video of that because oh, yes. I'll put that up. <laughs> okay, I can Let convert right here. I've been doing it, man. I just need that. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, the best, dunk, one of the best dunks I've ever seen, man. That really, and it was before the YouTube era. You need to find the video yeah. for me. But that one, there was dunk against someone. There was a still photo where you're like hitting your head on the. Oh, rim while dude, that was on wild. On the backboard while you're dunking it, like he, his, there's a still photo of his head is hitting the backboard mm. while he's dunking wow. it from the side. Yeah, uh, and then. Your freshman year, the semifinal, you guys are playing Stony Brook. You're up by like a million points. Okay. And Giannini opens the bench and he's finally putting you in and he's like, 
hey, Chris, don't fuck this up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so pretty you guys much. are up by 40. <laughs> yeah. And he's had his two minutes left, and he's yeah. done. You know, <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's funny. That game that you're talking about where I hit my head on the backboard, that we used to play uh, like the Humane System schools. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, those games are fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's one of those years like, you guys aren't poorly skilled. You're just small. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, it's only a matter of time until you get the guns out and yeah. start throwing lobs and whatnot. That play was wild, though. I was like, you know what? Because, you know, when you play against big dudes who are like, you know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, yeah. if I go to the basket and I jump and they see me going to dunk, like, they'll just knock you out of the air. Yeah, they're going to try and just foul, foul yeah. you as hard as they can. I was on the side. I was like, yeah. if I jump, he's not going to block it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I usually felt most of the time. And, like, usually, you know, if a big dude comes, that's when I'll, like, I'll reach under. Yeah. But, dude, I got hit hard. <laughs> and I was like, dude, what the hell was that? <laughs> Came to the ground like, bro, yo, what is your problem? He didn't call anything. He's like, you hit your head. I was like, I did not. <laughs> so, I mean, that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I can say that didn't happen at any other time in my life. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was, that was impressive. Um, what were your experiences like up at Maine? On the basketball team, because you guys, so your freshman year, you guys get there, you guys get to the championship. There was, it was like, uh, it was almost like the perfect storm to get you guys into there because you had Boston University was, they were projected to be as high as an 11 seed. They, they won 17 and one in conference. They had won like 25 of 26 games, their last 26 games. They were getting top 25 votes, which never happens at that level. And they get upset in the opening round of the America East tournament on their home court. So they're out. Northeastern has J.J. Berea. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's like, okay, so this is Northeastern's opening. They get upset by a Hartford team that had like seven healthy players. So mm-hmm. they're out. And then Vermont has Taylor Coppenrath was the best player in the conference, but he hasn't played in three months because, or, you know, or two, two yeah. months, two months. He's a broken wrist. He hadn't played for, he missed like half the conference season, maybe. Pretty much yeah. the entire thing. And, and it's like so suddenly now you guys, <laughs> and <laughs> you you guys your opening round game against Binghamton, with with the big seven footer, big Nick, my, you know my guy, Nick picks up the most absurd technical foul in human history to help to kind of uh, the ball rolls to him after a charging call and he picks it up and just spikes yes. it into the rafters and that he was swings. known for that though yeah oh yeah Nick was was, was wow. crazy uh, NBA level. Ability and size, but but uh, you know a bit of a space cadet. So then, you guys wind up in the championship game, but then Coppenrath comes back after. So there's all right. <laughs> if you ask certain guys, I'll tell you certain things. But I, I'll give you my my lens from the end of the bench as a freshman. Yeah. All right, um, I did not pay attention a lot during the games because I knew I wasn't <laughs> going to play. Right, so there's that. Yeah, you know, uh, one of Coach G's big things that he used to mention all the time was that. If you were a player, if you were on a team and you're winning the rebounds and you're within five points with five minutes left in the game, you're more likely to win, right? So they'd have to print it out stat sheets, and he was a big stat guy for that. So I'd always look at it, and be, I'd, I would chart, I would follow the rebounds throughout the game. I'd look at who's had more possessions, who had more time with the ball, all that. And we always won those things because those are the things that we focused on. Uh, we won a lot of games in the conference. I, if you pull it out, you can look at you our record in the conference. Games that year, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a first. I think was... we only lost three or four games in the conference. Yeah. So I'll be really honest. I didn't think we weren't. I, I didn't think we were out of place for being in that yeah. game. You know, like, I thought we should win. Like yeah. we beat Northeastern at home. Uh, we beat Vermont. Um, we beat. No, we lost to BU. I think twice. Yeah. Um, 
and we beat all the other teams. Yeah. Right. So like to me, I was like, oh, like I think we finished in third. Yeah. You did. <laughs> so I'm like, wow. okay, like, like we're not out of place. Like we should be right. up here, right? Um, I do not think we prepared well for the game. Uh, I'll, I won't forget in practice we were going through all the stuff because you know being at the yeah. end of the bench on the scout team, and um, you know, were ready for Sorrentine. Yeah. But everyone was like, well, how much can Sorrentine put up? I was like, dude could put up 40. <laughs> this dude's nice, right? He put up 45 against Northeastern when dude, I was. <laughs> he was nice. Like, he could shoot it. He could yeah. handle He could jump. I was like, they're like, well, he broke his wrist last year. I was like, and? <laughs> he yeah. seems fine right now. Um, and then Coppenrath broke his hand in our game at UMaine. Yep. Right? In, like, January. Yeah. And it was like a freak thing. He, like, fell. And we couldn't even figure out why he wouldn't get off the yeah. floor. Right? So everyone was like, well, you know. Coach Coach G was like, I don't know if he's gonna even play. And I was like, I think he's gonna play. Like, I think he'll strap his arm together. He's gonna play. And they're like, Well, he won't be in game shape. And I'm like, You have everyone who's like hurt working out. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't he be in game shape? Like, if he's gonna come back, and they right. knew that that was like the first game that he could play in. Yeah. Yeah. He missed. It was. It was something. It was like. Like eight weeks or something. Yes. Of of of, of games. It was going and, to be his potential first day back. Yeah. And I'm like, he's playing. Yeah, he's playing. He's playing. Right, he's not playing. Yeah, Every, no way would you not play in this game? Abs, I'd be in there in a heartbeat. Right? You have to tear me off the court. Uh-huh. So anyways, I didn't feel like we were preparing for him. And he came out and he outscored us in the first half himself. He scored more points than our whole team in the first half. I heard. But I will say this. The only time I've ever heard Fish sing live was at that game. <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, Coach G was like, you know, it's going to be a big game. It's going to be wild. The crowd's going to be bumping, which it was. I'd never seen anything yeah. like that for college basketball. And he's like, if Fish is going to be there, and Joe Campbell loves Fish, and one of my teammates, <laughs> and he's like, they're going to be there. He was, he, was, he was riled up. And I was like, okay, I don't even know who this band is. Never heard in my life. They started singing, and I got the goosebumps. I turned. I was like, who are these people? <laughs> Fish. They, Fish, yeah. P-H-I-S-H. Okay. They were amazing. Really? Absolutely. Uh, beautiful. Just absolutely Beautiful. And then they came in and kicked our ass in the game. It was wild. <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> I, I, the, the thing, Powered so, by fish. So the, the, there's, there's, there's a story that was told to me from um, a guy who works in the America East Conference back when I was, was on good terms with the America East oh, Conference. Yeah. That was, so this is a while back. But he's still there. Matt, Matt, Matt Bork is the, is the, I would say that he's the, the, the he's a guy that I still respect. And, and like, even though I'm sure we couldn't have a conversation because my outspoken views on things. Um, but he told me a story that, that Giannini, uh, before the game, he was like, is Coppenrath going to play? And Matt Burke, who was a student at UMaine and then worked at UMaine before becoming a member of the uh, conference, he was now working for the America East Conference, but he knew Giannini from his days working at Maine. And he goes, yeah, I think Coppenrath's going to play. And Giannini's like, I, if he plays, I'm thinking about single covering him. And Matt Burke's like, I don't think you should do that. And Giannini was like, I think that's what I'm going to do. And then at halftime, he's coming off the court, and Matt Burke's working the game for the conference, and Giannini's like, yeah, single coverage was a bad idea. <laughs> Cabaret scored 43 points. Yeah. 43 points, talent, 15 man. rebounds, yeah. with a broken wrist yeah. in his first game back after missing Wonderful two talent. months. Basketball like, gods came down and blessed us, man. And yeah. we're like, this is your time, son. <laughs> <laughs> this is your time. Sure. I mean, so on top of like, you know, he played well. In in all fairness, too, uh, Mopajila yeah. was amazing that game too. Yeah, like he played really, really well. Scotty Barnes played really, really well. Sorrentine was yeah. on fire. 
like they were all firing on that game, mm-hmm. and then and then Cop and Wrath was Cop and Wrath, yeah. right? So like yeah. it was, you know, and they weren't they weren't bad, right? They were really good. They won. Yeah. They beat Syracuse the next year. Yeah, they, they, all they, the they, same they, team. Yeah, so they didn't stink. So it, it was the exact same team. So it yeah. was it was. What was it like getting the as a as a freshman? You get to the championship game. Yeah. Do you expect that you're going to be back there at some point? I assumed we'd be back the next year. Right? Like, I yeah. thought for sure, like, all right, we're all going to lock in. We're going to come back in the next year. Coach G left that year. Yep. Um, was... You know, and I feel like when you get a new coach, you either do really, really well mm-hmm. or you do just below what yeah. you did. And we were the just below. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that we, like, underperformed. Like, Markwood got hurt. Uh, he yeah. he like pulled his hamstring. Yeah, when we were was Marco on. There? Yeah, Marco yeah. was there. Okay. Oh, dude, Marco was tough, man. Yeah, um, he, that's what he told me. That's what he, told he, me. No, he was. He was. Real, he's tall, right? He's like six yeah. four. Yeah. He can shoot it. He can mm-hmm. defend. Yeah, no, he was good. Right? Was yeah. Good. yeah, yeah. I mean, he could he could play the point. He could too, jump, so. even though he didn't like to. Yeah, he could really okay. like jump. Yeah. Well, there was one dunk against Binghamton. I dude, know, you should have seen his dunk. You should have seen his dunk at BC. It was wild. Yeah, he went baseline. I was like, oh, there goes Marco's like layup, right? He held on to it. Guy jumped with him. He put both hands on the ball and just like hammered it. And I was like, "What?" Like, <laughs> I, I want right. So um, I might have that one on film. I'm gonna go look. We it. played at Binghamton. Yeah, I took the ball out, and you know, we had this play for Andy Vidard like years ago, and yeah. I'd seen it, and we'd run it for Markwood, but we wouldn't throw the lob. And I was like, "Dude, Markwood could jump." So I'm taking the ball out, and I see him going. I was like, "Dude, if I throw this." He has to get it because he knows I'll come out. <laughs> so I, I lob it up, and Markwood grabs it in the air, and he's up. So now he might as well dunk it, throws it down. He comes back down, huffing and puffing down the court. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, what's the problem, man? That was crazy. Yo. That was crazy. Oh, man. No. Um, but I did. I assumed we'd be back. Yeah. I always did. Um, I thought, like, we were good. I thought we were good enough. Markwood got hurt. Ernest Turner got hurt as well. Yep. He also pulled his hamstring yep. uh, there in that same time. That's when my playing time went from like you know like eighteen, nineteen minutes a game to like twelve as yeah. a sophomore. Uh, we needed a point guard, and I'm not a point guard. Yeah. <laughs> I've told you very well. Yeah. So our freshman walk on all of a sudden was our point yeah. guard, right? So you know our our chemistry isn't as good. Both those guys kind of come back a little too mm-hmm. early. Like it seems like every single college player does. And they just weren't who they were before they got hurt. Mm-hmm. So we won. I think we won our first conference game, and then we lost the next one. All those guys graduated, and I was yeah. like, "Okay, we got we got a shot still." I, th- I think we, yeah. I think we got a shot. Kev breaks his foot. Yep. I think in like the first, our best player, all time best shooter at UMaine breaks his foot. I think in the first practice, like first full practice, first yeah. to second, first week, anyways. And you know, I've never seen a coaching staff get so demoralized. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, you recruited me too. <laughs> like, I can score. Hello, yeah. <laughs> right? But um, he broke his foot. Um, maybe like 30 minutes into practice. Oh wow! Um, he went up for a layup, and coach was like, "Don't contest his layups." How many times do I have to tell you? And I was like, "Wait, shit! Why do you guys contest mine?" Like, <laughs> what the hell? I'm not. I'm, I'm my fault. You're hurt. Like anyway, but he broke his foot. Uh, he was out for the whole yeah. year. He redshirted, um, and that year was just like let's just salvage, right? Yeah. So like that, and then my senior year. Oh, I don't, wanna, don't even know if I want to go into that one. <laughs> you know, you had a lot of dunks your senior year. I did. I had. I had. A, I had a few of them. It would have been nice though to get some chemistry going. Yeah. Um, but you know. 
when when I'm your power forward, your best option at power forward. You know, we had a guy who could play it, but you know, just it just wasn't. You know, that's, you're not going to win a lot of games that mm-hmm. way. So, and I'll, I'll say that very yeah. candidly, right? If I, if I'm your power forward, we ain't winning games. You know, so you had uh, what you uh, Kev was a senior because he came back as a yep. Richard senior. That's still a pretty good combination right there. Yeah, and what sheets yep. as a senior. Then Oli. Oli, yeah. Uh, we had Christian Kavanaugh, who was yeah, a big dude. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he transferred out. He wasn't getting a lot of playing time. He left. Uh, Phil, uh, big dude. He could he could finish and score. We had Junior Bernal as a point guard. Yeah. He was like 6'4". We had really good size, good talent. Uh, Mark Sacobi, I think he was like 6'4", 6'5". Yeah. He could shoot it, put the ball on the floor. But um, we didn't have – what my team my freshman year had, yeah. which was guys who understood the system. Yeah. The guys who knew the plays and the guys who, when we go into a game plan, like, we, they could probably still tell you the game plan now yeah. of the game. But my senior year, like, those guys didn't have that. Like, I sat on the bench for a whole year and only did scout stuff. Mm-hmm. So I knew every other team plays inside out. Like, they start moving, and I wouldn't have to think about it. I could put my right. hand up, here goes the ball. These guys never learned it. They just they stepped on the court and they played. And not that they didn't play poorly, but, you know. It's different. When when your career came to an end, um, there were a lot of guys still at that time, you know, 2007, there's still a ton of guys going from, from low Division One over to different leagues in Europe. I mean, the bubble had burst at that point. It's not like, oh, you're you playing in the America East, you can go play in, like, you know, in, in second division in France and, like, make bank, which was happening, you know, 10 years ago. But you could still make a living mm-hmm. after taxes. But you never you never went that route, um, and there are a lot of lesser players from the same conference that did go that route and play for for several years overseas. Did you think about pursuing that at all? I did. I could not. Um, injuries. Yeah. So that's the part of the story I haven't shared <laughs> is that uh, at the end of well, freshman year they were considering redshirt and me just because like my back was so bad. Like you know I had mm-hmm. to you know get all this get every scan with every single letter. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't redshirt because we went on a trip to Canada, and I played in games in Canada, and they didn't think it was going to count, but it did count. So then it was like a whole wasted year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sophomore year, um, I had pulled my my uh, hip flexor, and then <laughs> that year pulled my hamstring. Um, I still blame us switching from Nike shoes to New Balance mm-hmm. shoes, right? I, I will always I will. Go to my grave on this one. My shoe rips and playing, playing Markwood, coming over the screen, got over, shoe rips, similar to Zion, shoe rips, hip goes out, just hip flexor goes, hamstring goes, right? Uh, and, you know, that, that hurt. Overcompensated, came back way too early. Uh, left knee started bothering me. Overcompensated on my right. Developed horrible um, Achilles issues. Uh, junior year and senior year, during the season, I wore a boot all through school wow. right so like i'd wear the boot and couldn't barely could make it to class popping motrin ibs all day right destroying yeah. my kidney right and then get to practice and we'd do three and a half hour practice and like and i got no off days like i didn't get less reps i was always on the court uh and then you got other guys who like oh, i feel tired and, all right well, go ride the bike i'm like ride the bike <laughs> like dude i wore a boot I haven't, I haven't stopped wearing a boot since the season started um so senior year after I graduated, um, you know, 
I was I was kind of livid about a bunch of things, but I was like, hey, like, you know, I would like to keep playing. Like, do you guys know what I should do? Like, what are the steps? What, what are you doing for players? Got crickets, right? So um, I ended up reaching out to some of the girls at UMaine who had left the year before, yeah. like Heather Ernest, um, Abby Schrader. And they were like, oh, like, this is my agent. She, you know, she has boys. She has, she has girls as well. Uh, I got signed up with an agent. Uh, I got a bunch of different offers to go play. But when it came to, like, getting back in shape, Sam, dude, I tried to run. Like, I had my own regiment at home. Um, I won't forget, I was at my house. I tried to run down the street. You know, I did all my stretch and all that before. I made it to the end of my street, and I couldn't make it any further. I had to sit in the sun for, like, an hour. Wow. And then I had to walk back home. My mom was like, oh, you're back. <laughs> like, you came from the wrong direction. And I was like, I, I can't run. Like, I, I can't do it. Uh, I tried to play a little bit more, get back in shakes, couldn't do it. Had to make the phone call, be like, I, I can't play. You know, had to, and having to make that kind of call is very tough. Um, went to the chiropractor, went to a few doctors. My chiropractor was like, you walk worse than 70-year-olds who come in, right? Uh, another doctor was like, you should probably have surgery on your Achilles. It's gonna go. Um, so for me, I was like, all right, I guess I gotta find who I am now, right? Like, who am I without sports? Like, am, am I something else? And I think that's like really hard for a lot of people, especially when, like the way I left, the area was like, oh, like you're this big time basketball player. Like, like what am I gonna do now? Because I, I was a true athlete at school. Like I didn't, I was not the student. I was, I went to school to be an athlete there. So it was like really hard to picture it because I'm thinking, I want to try to get eight to ten years out of playing overseas. I want to try to get some kind of nest egg. Let me do some real estate stuff, maybe. Let me do some of this. Let me yeah. be like a broadcaster. Let me run my own show. Like let me do something like that after I've made some money. Uh, so at that point, I was like, all right, what do I do now? Um, I thought about it. I'm like, I talk a lot. I'd like to talk a lot. So I ended up going into sales. I work for a company, Herf Jones. You know, I sell cap and gowns, class rings, diplomas, that kind of thing, in and out of schools. And then um, eventually I moved up here, started working for Comcast, doing business to business sales. And, and that's when I was like, I mean, I really took the job because I needed a job. Yeah. Right? Like, not because I was like, I'm passionate about selling stuff to people. Yeah. Like, who cares about that? Um, and then my wife is a teacher, and I'd always kind of thought about it. My high school coach had told me years ago, he's like, you are a teacher. Like, like, you know, when I do camp, he's like, you always pick the kids who are struggling the most. Like, you want to see them do better. Mm -hmm. Not because they... They believe it, but because you believe it more than they do. Uh, so he'd always kind of said that to me. Whenever I'd go back around, he'd always say, like, when are you going to become a teacher? When are you going to become a teacher? Uh, so when I looked into it, um, kind of like floated it to my wife. And she's like, all right, if you go into teaching, um, you're going to have to go back to get your degree. You're going to have to be in school for a bit. And you probably want to get it over with. And I was like, okay. She's like, why don't you just do a whole year program? We'll be dirt poor, but you'll be done. <laughs> and she's like, you better get a job by the end of the year. Uh, and kudos to my wife. That, that was her advice. So we went for it. Um, got into a program with Leslie. Um, I did my whole year practicum, did all the courses. She worked, like, two jobs. Like, we never saw – we really almost never saw each other outside of other friends' weddings or, like, parties and stuff like that. Grinded for a year, right? Got the job, and she was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> like, let's pre During this, this same year, we also got married. Uh, we were thinking about buying a house at the end. So it, it was a lot of change wow. at that time. Um, but, you know, once I became a teacher, I mean, I haven't really looked back from it.
Um, it makes me happy every day. You know, when I work with my students, you know, I'm working right now in summer school. And it's really hard to, for me to at least to see a kid who, like, doesn't like school, yeah. doesn't want to learn. And also at the same time, like, school isn't easy for me either. Like, I'm constantly in and out of trouble, completely misunderstood a lot. So I feel like I want to help every one of those kids reach their best potential. So it's been good for me. Honestly, playing basketball is probably, probably like the least of my concerns now. Yeah. It's fun to look back at, but like, what I would I have ever gotten there? Definitely not. But um, I'm I'm kind of very happy that it, it ended the way it did. So where do you, where do you see the kids being misunderstood? Um, I I feel like behavior students, students who are like typical mm-hmm. behavior kids. Mm-hmm. I feel like those kids are the most misunderstood. Um, I also find myself like gravitating towards like the kid who is like myself, like a black boy who gets treated differently because they're a black boy. Mm. Uh, Like I haven't grown since I was like in eighth or ninth grade. Okay. Right. So I was like huge for years. I'm sure, I'm sure you went through the same thing, right? I'm with you. So like I'd get judged as if I were much older than I actually Mm -hmm. was or like, why can't you do this? Or, you know, and just there's so many like unspoken things that I, I see with a lot of my black students um, that I'm always like, just have you asked them something? And then I realize like when I ask them questions, like even my language is different when I speak to them. Mm-hmm. Um, like even my demeanor and how I talk to them is very different than even some of the other teachers that I have that I work with. And I don't think it's like all intentional. I think it's some of it's just like cultural, like I know. Right. And then also some of that comes to with respect as well. Uh, one of my kids that I have right now this summer, um, he's been having some issues because he's he's going to be new. He's he's a Boston student. He's going to be coming into uh, mm-hmm. into Lexington. Okay. And Metco or yeah, Metco. Yeah, yeah, he's in Metco. And um, the biggest challenge that I have seen with him is that he doesn't know what's he he has no idea what he's in for. Right. And like some of his behaviors that he, that he's showing right now, I'm like, you can't you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Like like every, you're going to be the only kid in school who who's responding this way um let me help you (laughs) let me let me give you the keys to the kingdom because i feel like what you're going to get is uh let's go through all of our i forget what they call them but like let's go through all our protocols right when this happens i'll say this and then when this happens i'll say this and i'm like why don't you just talk to the kid the biggest thing that i found out was he wakes up so early in the morning he's too tired to eat breakfast so i was like they eat breakfast He's like, well, I, I'm not allowed to eat when everyone else isn't going to eat. I was like, well, you're hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you're going to be like hangry, right? Then go eat. Like, I don't yeah. want you arguing with me if you want to do this math problem. Just, just sit down and eat your food, and then right. come. Just listen. Like, even something as small as that. And I know, like, a lot of teachers, are like, well, why didn't he say something? Or why didn't you know? Yeah. Or I would do the same thing. I'm like, okay, well, then ask. Just, just, ask, just talk to him. Um, so I feel like. I not that I, that's a big thing to offer, but I, I at least want to be there for kids in different ways. You know? What what makes teachers so reticent to actually speak to the the kids? Um, I think there's a lot of different people who teach. Um, I think a lot of people. Uh, I feel like I'm guilty of it sometimes myself mm-hmm. in coaching, where like you do what worked for you best. Yeah. Mm, okay. So you stick with that. Yeah. So it's like really hard to see like why is this a problem? 
like this is how I would tackle this problem. I think that's that's sometimes hard. I think the other thing too is a lot of teachers are really rigid. Yeah, they they right? like I've done this for twenty years, or I've done this for ten, or it worked for this kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think too, like like if you haven't had experience in it, then it's really hard to understand or even figure out where someone's coming from. And that's just just because you you just haven't lived it. Um, like when I think about like I and, and the same I, I'm guilty of it too, where like <laughs> I'll never forget this my first year being in Lexington. Um, one of my parents, God bless her for saying this, because <laughs> I, I at the time I couldn't believe she when she said it, and now I'm like I'm really happy she did. She was like um, I, I was talking to a bunch of the kids and like I'll tell them like I'm very disappointed like. This is not what I would expect from you. Well, I'd say that because that's how my mother. My mother would say something like that. Right? My father. My father. No problem. No shame mm-hmm. saying that. Right. right. And then my teacher was like, oh, "Sorry, my teacher. My uh, my parent was like, I don't talk to my kids that way." And I just looked at her. I'm like, "What do you mean? You you wouldn't say that?" She's like, "I would never say that." And I'm like, "Well, why not?" And she's like, "Well, that's just not how you parent." I was like, "Okay, well, that's how I teach." I'm like, "My kid can't react that way. My kid is not you." And I was like, "Huh." You are right, <laughs> right? So like, yeah. like so when I would say something like that, like that kid is shut down. He's done for the day. And I think just as I did that for that student, I think that sometimes happens for other kids too. Hmm. I, uh, so my path to teaching, um, I had kind of washed out of, out of baseball after college. I'd gone down that road and then had realized that I was miserable playing and wasn't the same because things that had happened in my life and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do and I took a job as a as an assistant teacher at Arlington High School but I didn't really think I wanted to be a teacher because I was still in my mid-20s and I could still remember being in high school and being right back in in a high school setting I felt like man I had all these plans about what I want to go do in life and now I'm just back in high school um but I coached that year and I got to know kids and I built these relationships and it was very relational and then I went on to do other things for a while I you know into media, I got was a marketing director, had my own thing going, but none of it, any nothing that I did in the corporate world or in the you know media world, like brought me like happiness, like I was getting or a sense of purpose, like when I was working with kids, and I was like, I think I need to be a teacher, and people had said that for a while, and so I went through all the alternative ways to get a license. I wound up getting like five licenses, <laughs> uh, and but I wound up working with uh, being a special ed teacher was one of my licenses. And um, I wound up working with students that had, like, trauma backgrounds because that's a lot of behavioral kids. The reason their behaviors are the way they are is because they've experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. And trauma can come in a bunch of different forms. It can be, you know, like you think of typical, like, sexual abuse, physical abuse, whatever. But there's, like, school-based trauma that you've got to learn disability and teachers are not understanding it. They're not Mm -hmm. teaching you in a way. Like, you're not getting the sports you need. So trauma comes in many different forms. But I just gravitated to kids. Um, like that. And it, it really was such a rewarding job working with the kids. But for me, it was very difficult dealing with administration. So much of the job I felt like had nothing to do with the kids. Um, for you and so many teachers, it, it's, it's hemorrhaging teachers now, the, the, the profession. Uh, and we're in Massachusetts. It's one of the states that takes the best care of teachers. Mm-hmm. I don't think we take care of teachers. Like, but we pay them better than most other states. We give them more supports than most other states do. Um, why have you been able to been able to stay in it? Have you ever thought 
during all this, during, you know, COVID, school shootings, you know, just administrative bureaucracy, tightening legislation about, you know, <laughs> it's so crazy how part of the country doesn't, te- doesn't, doesn't trust us with lesson plans, but they think that we should be trusted to, like, carry a firearm in the classroom. Um, what, how have you been able to stay in it? Have you ever thought about that, like, have you ever contemplated leaving the profession? <clears throat> Um, no, I haven't contemplated leaving. I, I do think though, I don't know if I'd want to be a teacher for like, until I'm like 65. Yeah. Um, I always kind of like think like, like what else? Maybe yep. there's something else in the profession for me. But, um, for me, I still like going to school. I still like seeing my kids. Um, I feel like every year I get a, a new group of kids. Um, so it is very different. Um, I also try to switch it up every year with doing stuff. Uh, right now, I'm content. So, you know, this is going to be public. So I, I guess I'll have to get over saying this out loud, <laughs> being recorded on this. But I just don't always do the curriculum. <laughs> and I think yeah. like some people get stuck on the curriculum, and like they just have to hit all the things. And they, if they hit all those things, then they've done their job. But like I always try to remember myself in school like the principal and i were like we should have been on first name basis i was in his office all the time (laughs) and so like i there were things i just didn't like about it and i'm like why do we need to do this like why can't we enjoy school so i try to do a lot of that i try to do a lot of project-based learning Uh, i think building community in my classroom Mm -hmm. is the most important thing and i will not teach sometimes to just do that um a few years ago i thought it was really important that the students learn about money and in fourth grade uh, so many times i'd see the kids come in and like they they really they couldn't break a dollar Mm -hmm. and i'm like how can you not break a dollar and one of the kids said to me well you just use a card i was like okay right i'm with you i'm with you right and now it's like i need this venmo i got zelle i got all this stuff right but i'm like but still like you don't understand you really don't understand the value of a dollar like you have no concept of like what that means so i was trying to like devise a way to like create like a money system and um, my sister sent me something about like a classroom economy and then I went down the rabbit hole, found that. So I started doing that like a few years ago and now it's like kind of blown up and now all my students are always like, the students who come in the next year from third grade are like, oh, I want to be Mr. Bruscox because they, the, they do the classroom economy. And for the past two years, I've been like, I actually don't want to do it. Like it is a tremendous amount of work. Um, we don't hit all of the social studies, science, math, or reading lessons mm-hmm. because you have to cut mm-hmm. something somewhere. And at the same time, I'm like, I think those things are super important too. But so is the community part. And this year, the kids killed it. They 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 were amazing with the classroom economy. Um, you know, we had some kids who couldn't afford the you know, the kids got to buy their desks. Mm-hmm. Right? They got to pay rent on their desks. Uh, there were a few kids who couldn't do it. Uh, they couldn't afford it. They they got fines for poor behavior, not handing things in, stuff like that. Um, so they were in debt. They also didn't want to like fill in the extracurricular activity sheets for bonus money. Like, like if they did something like this, they could write that down. If they went yeah. to church, they could write it down. Yeah. If they went to go see your grandma, they baked cookies. If they put the dishes, it, just fill it out, fill it mm-hmm. out, right? Mm-hmm. It gave them all the structures to do it, they just wouldn't do it. I had a group of kids this year who were like, we're gonna set up a charity to help kids afford wow. and get out of debt. I was like, man, man, you you guys oh. rock, right? So like, oh. that's the stuff that like makes me still want to be a yeah. teacher. Great story. Because you're like, oh, I want. Who wouldn't want to spend time with kids like that? You know. 
And uh, one of the the assistant superintendent was like, I think you do such a really good job. Like, you get kids excited to go to school. And I'm like, all right, yeah, like, that's all true. But, like, but what else? Right? So right now, this year, I'm kind of, like, thinking, like, what else? Like, a few years ago, we did a podcast. That's that was awesome. A, that was a ton of fun. I'd like to do that again, maybe. I'm also thinking, like, do we, like, revamp the book club? Because we did uh, one year, I was like, you know, let's do, like, a whole grade book club. Like, I get to know my kids really well, but I know them as students. I don't get a chance to see them outside of the classroom. Like, I don't know who they are at lunch. But but with a book club, would you, I mean, is there a a curriculum of books that you have to follow, or would you give them books? I pick the books I want to read. Okay. (laughs) Because I'm like, it's all extra work. Right. You know, like, I got to, I I mean, I literally had to stay up late at night, like, doing projects to, like, build it out. Uh, I worked with a few other teachers in my school and was like, hey, I need your help on this. I want this to be good. Can mm-hmm. you help me out? Um, reading specialist helped me out. I sent out a thing to the entire staff. We did a Harry Potter thing. And I was like, hey, I need teachers to come in. It'd be fun for them to see you interact with the class. It was a ton of work. My team my, my team was awesome. They helped me out. They pushed it out. They, you know, they if I was like, hey, I need like an extra 10 minutes. Like, can you give me 10 minutes? Yeah, sure. I'll do it. Uh, I had, like, more than half the grade doing it. It was a ton of fun. But, it, you know, it could burn you out if you do it every yeah. year. Right. So that's that's one I'm thinking, like, how, how do we bring that back without the burnout? Yeah. So is there blowback from, because you said you don't finish the curriculum of what the school is mandating. You said it doesn't always yeah, stick to the curriculum. Right? Yeah. I, mean, um, I haven't heard it. Okay. I assume <laughs> there is. Right. I assume. Right. But... When you get, like, kids excited about doing something, right, like, how, how could you be upset about it? Yeah, I That's my opinion. I, I agree. So, and it was... But I'm sure there's... I'm sure there is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, you know? it's, so you and I have taught in very different places because you're in, in Lexington, which is one of the best by ranking school yeah. systems in the country. And I've taught in a lot of um, school programs that are specifically based towards, like, behavioral students, like, collaboratives, bringing kids from different places. Um, but I think getting kids engaged, no matter where you are, is super rewarding, and that's kind of the payoff. Like, I did a lot of project-based learning where I was because it got kids engaged, and they were learning concepts, and they were excited about school for the first time, which was was really awesome. A question that I have, so you said you gravitate to students like you that are um, misunderstood, many of them black, um, but you teach in a very white district, I mean, for all the talk of Lexington getting more diverse, it's still, it's a very white affluent It's pretty town. white. I would say, um, though, the demographics have shifted a ton. A lot more Indian students. Yeah. Um, I would say I have a very diverse class. Uh, I might have, like, four white kids in my huh, class, that's, I'm, which is wild. I, I, that is wild to me from what I know of Lexington. You know, been driving through there my entire life. It's what life. you see. It's growing, what you see when you drive through. Growing up in, uh, yeah, in but, Cambridge, Lexington was always the yeah. rich kids to us. <laughs> yeah, so. I think I have four white kids in yeah. my class. <laughs> that was my, about it. My question is, do you feel like in – so kind of who you are in your approach, um, the black students, you're, you're really connecting with them, and I think you connect with all your students, but – is there discomfort from parents that aren't black parents? You know, whether it's white parents or you, you're in this, you don't look like most of the demographic. The reality is whether people want to accept it or not, like subconscious bias is is very much embedded in our society. People have subconscious responses when they see, you know, a black man, dreadlocks, all this sort of stuff. Like, has that been a struggle in the classroom? Do you feel like people, how do parents and admin 
that don't look like you respond to you? Um, I'm sure it's there. Um, I don't want to say like I play ignorant to it all, but at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter as much because I feel like I'm going to do the best that I can. Um, for years growing up, I couldn't figure it out. Right, like why I would always get like a different response than some of my other friends when you're like the biggest, tallest black kid that walks mm-hmm. into a room. Like I, for years, I couldn't figure it out. So once I started to, I was like, oh, like it, it really did shape the way I move into a room. Um, I assume everyone sees me when I walk in, usually because I'm tall, usually because I'm black. And now that I have dreads, right? I didn't yeah. always before. Mm-hmm. But like now that I do, I'm like, you can't miss me. So, like, that is that is my first approach, right? Like, I will just take on and say, like, I don't know where you're coming from, but I already assume that you have a bunch of biases about me. Yeah. Um, when I when I played basketball, um, and I used to get, you know, all the questions, you know, media stuff, and you had to, like, learn how to, like, say the right thing. Um, for me, it wasn't that difficult because my parents forced me to do that kind of stuff all the time. My dad used to always be like, you know, you're going to represent us well. You're going to do these things. Um so I felt like I'd learned to code switch very early, mm-hmm. <laughs> really early as a kid. Um, but then I also, like, you know, my dad used to always say, like, you don't have a choice. You have to be successful. And, like, you know, you, you hear that message. Sometimes it kind of sounds negative. But I always took that, like, as a challenge. And that's kind of how I approach things right now. Um, I get along, I feel like, really well with my immigrant parents because I will push their kid. Right? Like if their kid doesn't do something well, it doesn't do, it doesn't, isn't meeting my expectations. I feel like my expectations are really high because uh, I'm very firm with them. Um, the, I will call the parent and be like, they're not doing this. Mm-hmm. They, they should be doing this. They, what can I do? Is there something that you, is happening at home? And those parents are like, oh, we love Mr. Brough. <laughs> like, we will, he'll, he'll make them do whatever. <laughs> so, but also to, um, I think doing some of the extra things that I do. And like trying to wrap it in, weave it into the curriculum has been really helpful. Um, like I was saying this year with our classroom economy, what was awesome about it, you know, the kids can, I was like, hey, you know, if you're in good financial standing, you can start a business and you can sell other things in the classroom. The kids did such a great job with it. One of the parents is like, hey, I got a friend who's starting up a business. Would you be interested in having them share and talk about it? I was like, why would I say no? This is a great resource. So like when you bring in, you know, this this Indian couple, or sorry, this Indian uh, family who's making, you know, their own uh, hair products and showing them like, oh, hey, like women can be business owners. Like, mm-hmm. You can be a business owner. Like this is a product that comes from our culture. And now we're spreading this with the world. Like, all, you know, these parents are like, wow, this is great. Like you invited us. You invited our culture in. Um, that was something that I didn't always feel I had the yeah. opportunity to have when I was a student. Right. And I feel like as a black teacher in a predominantly white school, I look for that to be like, hey, like, how can I bring in like this subculture that most people might not know about in? Um, that's that part we talked about before, right? Like, you don't teach curriculum during that block. But what you just got has to be better. Yeah. Yes. It has to be. Um, yes. when we, that, 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 that takes your social studies. <laughs> that takes your math lesson for the day. Yeah. It was. I mean, I wish I could. I wish I had recorded that that um, that Zoom that we did. But it was it was phenomenal. It was great. Um, You know, I have also found that for me, it's really important to get on some of those like committees where we uh, plan curriculum. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot more work. You know, you get paid for it, but it's a lot more work and time. You got to be out of the classroom sometimes to do to do some of the stuff. But 
some of those things that I liked to do that were extra, I've been like, how can we do this in the curriculum? Mm-hmm. So we used to teach immigration, and with my parents being immigrants, I was like, well, so your parents are immigrants, right? And I don't know how people felt comfortable about it before, but I'm like, to me, that was a sense of, like, I was really proud of that growing yeah. up. Like, I'm happy to tell people about it. I'm happy to tell people my parents' story. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, your parents, I'm sure, want to share the, sh- the story, too. And then I found just from talking to the, my students that a lot of them didn't know how their parents got here. So then I was like, all right, well, let, let's spend a few days. Let's have your parents come in and share it. And the parents like, what do you mean? I was like, you should come in and share. <laughs> like, we need to know this story. Like, mm-hmm. it's a modern immigration story. Yeah. So we started doing that for a few years. Then finally, I was like, we know how to, you know, this should be happening across the district because there's so many different people who can share stories. So I mean, we got great stories from every single continent now. Um, we've got refugee stories. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, that was something that, you know, had never been done. But being on one of the uh, curriculum reviews, I was like, we need to do this. Um, you know, same thing with science. You know, I try to do this similar things with that. Yeah. Um, making sure that, like, not to say, like, I have my stamp on it, but, like, how can I bring some of those things that I think are really important, things that, like, make, that, that, that really show me into yeah. our curriculum, you know? This is, like, the very... From from what I'm hearing, this is the very definition of teaching, right? I mean, so you educo, right, or mm-hmm. educare and educere, right? Mm-hmm. So you're educere in the spirit of educere, you're drawing out the best from them, yeah. Instead of trying to input something into into them, what you're getting is the best out of them. And I mean, isn't that what teaching is supposed to be about? Yes, I I would hope so, and I feel like my students. When they have, usually when that happens, you see that like that light go off, mm-hmm. and I don't have to ask them to do something, right? I can just yeah. be like, "Hey, we're gonna do this for today," and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, let's go, let's do it." Yes, and because they think of it as like, "Oh, what am I gonna get out of this as well?" So then you know, it's still fun, you know. You know, I I, I keep saying this, and I'm I'm laughing all the time with my, when parents come in, and you know, they'll say, "Okay, well, I want you to help my child with self confidence." You know, to, you know, to play, you know, to play basketball, self self confidence. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they don't need self confidence. I know guys that shoot one for seventeen. <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not missing self confidence. You know, players yeah. don't lack self confidence. Yeah. What they lack is clarity. Yeah. You know, so what you're teaching the kids right now, you're giving them clarity on what, you know, on the process. You know, here's what it is. You're going to stumble a little bit. But look, stick with this, and you're going to be okay. This is what I hear. Yeah, I mean, this is great. What What do you feel as a teacher? Um, because we are somewhat insulated, protected in Massachusetts with the way that you know the education is set up here in this state, uh, and and the strength of teachers' unions up here, and 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 legislation, and you know everything. Um, but, like, what do you think when you see in other parts of the country, like, what's going on with the curriculum in Florida? People are talking about indoctrination. People are fearful of of uh, critical race theory in the classrooms. You know, Texas is, I mean, it's just what's going on with public education in other parts of the country to me. It, it, it I went through the stages of, like, being infuriated, being disgusted, being, now I'm just sad, you know? Like, what does, what do you think about what's going on in other parts of the country? All those things bother me. I think I went through all those same things, too. It, it really still infuriates me a lot of the yeah. times when I see things because we're constantly indoctrinating our kids anyways. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we don't... The, the don't say gay bill really yeah. bothers me a lot. 
like a ton, yeah. like so much. Um, I'm not gay, but I shouldn't have to say that. Yeah. Right. Right. And like that's it's really ridiculous, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but also it's like, like you not saying that means that like you should really examine how often you say straight things. Yeah. <laughs> it's implied in everything you do. Yeah. So why is that an issue? So like that like really bothers me because, like. As a kid, I was always told, like, we don't see color. Really? 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So why do I feel like you see me every time I walk in here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, why did you say the first time you saw me, oh, you must be new here? It's not because I was a new face. I, yeah. I stood out. Um, so I always feel like I had to try to hide my race in school. And when I feel like someone has to, like, hide who they are, their gender, uh, their sexual orientation. I'm like, that's so messed up. Like, why can't you just be yourself? Like, isn't that what we're trying to celebrate? And if like, if, if that's what you're holding on to, right? Like, and you're a kid and you're like, I can't be myself. Why would I trust you? Yeah. Like, why would I be willing to take a risk to learn? To me, I, I really don't get it. Um, that kind of stuff like really bothers me. Um, I think if I were a teacher in one of those places, I would still do it anyways. Yeah. I think I'm yeah. one, I'm one of those people because uh, I mean like those, there are things that like I find important now, um, and you know I'm in a district where we can do those things. Yeah, I can still you know like when I said when I told them that I want to do a book club, and I'm going to do it during lunch and recess. The blowback was, well, the kids got to go outside. And I said, well, they don't have to do this. And they're like, well, it'll be implied that you have to go. I'm like, the kids don't have to go. I'm like, I'll do it with three kids. Mm-hmm. If they want to do it, yeah, I'm offering it to everyone because I should. And then we had like more than half the class. Or so like when I was like, "Hey, like I want to teach you how to be successful students. How I want to teach you how to be successful humans." We did this thing for like morning meeting for the whole year. We did like a whole different, you know, a theme every single week. We came back to it. We did four different things. Right? It was all about how to learn to really how to build internal motivation. Um, they were like, "You have to do morning meeting." I was like, "I am not doing morning meeting." I can't do it. We, my <laughs> class, we, we can't do it. I, I can't do a meeting because they don't know what it means to be persistent. They don't have, mm-hmm. not that they didn't have integrity, but like they didn't understand what that meant. Mm-hmm. Like being honest to yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like, are you taking responsibility? I had to teach them that. Um, did I receive blowback from it at the beginning? Yes. At the end, they're like, thank you goodness. I'm so happy you yes. talked about it. My kid's yeah. going home and they're yeah. teaching me about this. Um, so I know I w- if I were in one of those places, I would do I would do what I thought was right, um, because eh, my mom says this all the time: "What's right is right." It's never going to be wrong. So I would do that. So, and you go ahead. What is uh, so now? You know, with the with the gender dysphoria mm-hmm. and in the classroom. So everyone should be able to speak their own truth. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of them are having issues, right? Because they don't feel safe. Yeah. So is there enough? Um, support in the school system for kids who are feeling that way? I think it's some. In my school, um, I feel like there is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'd be naive to say it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, I mean, I think every teacher's trying to do their best. I'm sure in, like, 15 years, one of my students will be like, well, you never did, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, shit, man, I wish I knew. Right. Um, right. I, 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 you know, I think we really try to do our best. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's the case everywhere. Like some of my friends who are teachers in other places, like they just don't even address some of these things. Okay. Um, a lot of places they'll just say, well, I'll just read a book and that's it. Right. <laughs> right. How do the kids <laughs> feel about it? I mean, are, are, do the kids 
you know, because I'm sure it's tough for them too. I mean, if you, you know, I think it really comes down to like what is their message that they're getting at home? Because um, I think a lot of times kids are like really open minded mm-hmm. and like they're willing to take and they're willing to listen because I mean, that's all they're doing is learning, right? They're trying something out, and if it doesn't work, then they either don't do it again or they're like, oh, I'll try this next time, right? Um, I would say the hardest thing is when they feel uncomfortable and then they don't know how to talk about it. Um, in my school district right now, we're, we do a uh, dismantling racism curriculum mm-hmm. where we'll talk about like, how to dismantle racism. We'll talk about like oppression. We'll talk about um, power. Uh, we'll talk about um, like activism. And that can be really tough for our black kids specifically because as soon as you start talking about that, the first self-conscious thought is like, you're talking about me. You're talking about me, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's always hard. I just hope when the kids, as they get older, they look back and they say like, wow, this was helpful. Like, I felt like you were trying to see me in school. You were trying to respect that like, we need to learn about this and we need to dismantle some of these systems that are in place that are not helping me. Um, what can we do to be more helpful for me? What could we do to be more helpful for everyone? Um, I don't, you know, I've, I've had some of my former students that we've, um, that we've asked to, like, come back and, like, share some of their feedback on it. A lot of times they don't remember it, which is probably the most disheartening thing about being a fourth grade <laughs> teacher. <laughs> like, I don't ever remember us doing this. And I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> we spent weeks on this, but all right. <laughs> like, okay. Um... But a lot of the times, as you kind of like jog their memory, they're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Um, but I feel like in education, it has to be like cyclical. Like you have to keep coming back to it. You got to come back right. to it again. You, you have end, to keep start coming. and end in the fourth grade. It's yeah. Gotta... <laughs> and I feel like as a district, like whatever you do, it needs to be wrapped around and it needs to be consistent. And I think... I don't think it's ever going to be fixed in my lifetime. I know it sounds really unhelpful, but um, I still think we're making good strides. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's happening everywhere, um, but I would like to see it. So what what are the strides that are, are being made? Uh, one of the big things that my district is really looking at a lot right now is uh, how many of our students of color are being referred for SPEN. Like, are we just putting our are struggling black students, specifically struggling black um, black boys into SPED? Are we just not teaching them? Right? Is it just behavior? Mm-hmm. Right? So like, we're finally moving out of the talking about it okay. into like, all right, what are the practices that we're doing? I think we still have a long way to go because you know when you look at it and you say like, well, this curriculum isn't helping them. But we still have the curriculum. So what? <laughs> you know? Are we going to change that? You know? Um, and then also, too, um, the other thing that I think we need, to, I personally would like to push for, is um, how can we get them more, like, social-emotional resources? Because I feel like the biggest issue that most of my black, specifically black boys have, is... Like, there's only a few of them. Mm-hmm. And their discussions with each other are not the same as their discussions with all of their other peers. And whenever I, like, 
overhear their discussions. Like, I mean, I, I've, I couldn't tell you how many times this happened when teachers would be like, I couldn't believe what I heard them saying in the hallway. And then they recount the conversation to me. And I just like sit there and I'm like, so what's the problem? Like, what, what is the problem? Like, why did you ruin their day over this? Yeah. So I asked, I keep, I asked a question about the social and, and, and emotional growth because yeah. I'm just thinking about what, at that age, what was I being taught? Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading, you know, excerpts of James Baldwin, um, Maya Angelou, you know, Still I Rise, you mm-hmm. know, poems like that. And it, I mean, it was a different era. Okay. It was a different era, but there was a pride and an expectation in what you were supposed to do, who you have to be successful, like mm-hmm. your, like your your dad told you, and what you know, it, it's disheartening because it sounds like the kids. I mean, they don't get that. They don't get that in, at home, and they certainly don't get it in school or enough of it in school. So how do you, how do you fight that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I like to be. I guess like an example for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like, not to be like I made it so you can, but like one of my kids right now this summer, um, he told me that he doesn't like math because math is too hard. So I'm like, okay, well, what do you like to do? He's like, well, I like to make things. Like make what? So he starts telling me about all these things that he makes for his cat. And I was like, oh, that's very cool. I'm like, you understand, like, you could make a business on this. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can't do that. I'd have to do math. I was like, dude, you could hire someone to do that stuff right. for you now. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I could be a business. I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> and right now we're making paper roller coasters, this whole engineering thing. And um, nice. he was talking with his with his group about how to, uh, essentially, like, how to build their tower and how to um, build their tracks. And he was getting really frustrated with, like, doing the taping and doing some of the other parts. And he was like, well, I can do this. Why don't you guys do this? Why don't you do that? I was like, you sound like a project manager. <laughs> right? Like, um, so I don't know if it's like, hey, let me show you that I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Let me show you that, like, you actually are doing the work. Um, I think some of it comes around to, like, who your heroes are. I think some of it also comes down to like, what is the time? What is the, as I like to think of school, is like how many opportunities are you giving this person? Um, I feel like part of the reason why I am where I am today right now is because I was given a tremendous amount of opportunity. Uh, I feel like the amount of sacrifice my parents put, um, I I wouldn't be here without it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad gave up time, energy, Like, I still can't believe how he still still has any left in the tank because, you know, with driving everywhere to go to games, with the amount of fights he put up with me, (laughs) with driving my brother places, doing things for my sister. Um, And then on top of it, too, with, like, my mother, too, right? Like, I mean, if you're, you're like, first generation, if you're you're an immigrant, you come in. I think my dad came with, like, just a few hundred dollars in his pocket in the middle of winter from Jamaica, right? Like, that's tough. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Right, like, um, but like, they did so much. Like, when I Sam, let's talk about going to Maine. Um, My dad had me convinced we were poor growing up. Like, I thought we were like dead broke. I was like, man, I don't even want to ask you for a new baseball glove, right? And then I went to college, and I was like, damn, 
I was rich. Like, <laughs> I had no idea. Like, man, my brother and sister went to, like, elite prep schools. I went to a, a nice Catholic school. I had a car. We used to go on vacation every year. We went, I had lessons. I learned languages. I went. I was like, man, I was living. Yeah. <laughs> right? But, like, I think the biggest thing that my parents always really were pushing was, like, there's so much that you need to do. Like, just living isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Like just having a good time, like, like, like your material things mean nothing. Like, what are you going to do with it? And yeah, I, I think that that was like the biggest message that I always got as a kid growing up. I feel like I try to share that with my students. Um, I don't think that's like the end all be all because there's so much more that went into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I really do think in my experiences, and and I had almost a decade teaching. Uh, some stuff that you're saying that even though we would taught different kind of populations that like believing in them is really big, believing the best in them. Like, and my kids, so my kids really went through hell and were kids that, that the, the society did not believe the best in at that point of their lives. And, and just assuming the best in them, letting them know that, letting them know they're capable, I think goes really long way. Listening, like relationship building in general, it sounds really corny, but like, taking the time to actually listen I'm, i'll never forget one of one of my students that young kid like but much older than his years at sometimes uh i think it was labeled behavioral but he was really he was a kid high energy mm-hmm. and had a bunch of stuff in his background that um and he said to me one day he's like sam you're the first teacher that's actually listened to me and like that one like like really listens to me and <clears throat> It wasn't, I wasn't any sort of a spectacular teacher at that point. It was just, but it was something that I always tried to do is listen to the kids. And it goes a really long way, I think. Um, yeah. I used to teach down in Randolph, yeah. different population yeah. of students. And I used to go into the room to teach writing. And um, you know, one of the kids was having a, <laughs> give me a, give me a run for my money. And I was like, dude, you got to come in to do some of this work later. And, um, so I was like, you got to come during like a lunch recess. And yeah. then that same day, a few of his friends in the line, as I was walking to my office, were just like out of control in the line. And I was like, you, 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 you're with me too. And they were like, oh, man, you're in trouble, blah, blah, whatever. And some of their friends were like, Mr. Bruff, can I come? And I was like, for what? <laughs> I was like, I just want to see what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. And literally I go, sure. <laughs> like, why not? Right. Yeah. So then the kids that were there, they, you know, the kids who were not doing well in the hallway, they had to write about what happened, you know, typical teacher stuff, right? And then the kids who were there for work, they had to do their work. But the kids who were just there to chill and hang, we talked at lunch. And, you know, when I say we talked, they talked. I just happened to yeah, be there. Right? Right. You know, be respectful. Don't, don't say anything rude. That kind of stuff, right? And then the kids who, you know, were supposed to be there for, like, reasons were, like, they wanted to join in. And they were like, can we come back and do this again? And I was like, all right. If a kid's asking that, my answer should be yes. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, sure. All right, fine. I don't want to, but <laughs> right. That's the right thing to do. Okay. <laughs> so then it ended up settling that we would do it twice a week and that they would come in. And it was like a typical lunch group. And finally, I was like, you know, I should probably give this some like direction. But it was more like, like you said, right? Like they didn't say to me like, oh, we like hanging out yeah. in here or we like doing whatever. But they were like, oh, can we bring someone else? I was like, oh, it's like you want to come. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, but, like, it was nice to be there for yeah. them. Mm-hmm. You know, because th- some of the conversations that I heard, I was like, wait, like, 
there was a fire at your house? Like, you haven't been at your home in two weeks? Right. Like, what? Yeah. Why didn't you say something? It's like, oh, my mom said I couldn't say anything. Or, like, this person left. Or, like, there was something going on. You're like, Dude, what? Like, yeah. We can help you. Yeah. You know, it, it's... You know, that's, that's the part where I'm like, also, I'm like, man, I, well, I can't leave teaching because <laughs> how am I yeah. going to help these kids? <laughs> you know, The decision to leave for me was really, really heartbreaking. And I, I struggle at the end of every year with goodbyes in general with my students. And, and I think it's, it's, it's some of it is projecting, which you try not to do. But, you know, I, I, there are so many goodbyes I didn't get to have. I didn't get to have goodbye with my best friend, with my mom, my dad, all the people that I lost. But it, it, it's very hard for me at the end of the year to do with, like, a goodbye. Um, but yeah, I still I miss it. Um, have there been times that that have been scary for you as a teacher? I mean, you, Lexington's a safe, safe town, low crime rate, all that sort of stuff. But plenty of the school shootings happen in safe towns with low crime. Yeah. Rate. Like, is, do, are you ever fearful as a teacher? I mean, you're dealing with fourth graders, so you think no. But still, I mean, there's horrible things have happened in schools with with young children. And I, Bobby and I talked about how even the people that have an experience like for me, how traumatizing having my own young kids when the latest happened, but like, have there ever been times that you've been, been fearful as a teacher? Um, so I have never been like afraid of the school shooting thing. Yeah. Um, maybe it's like being naive, not like it couldn't happen, but you know, I, I truly yeah. think it could easily happen. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's like the world we live in, which is absurd. Um, but I kind of just, I've always thought of it as like, if it does happen, will I be prepared for it? Mm -hmm. And we had one of those Alice drills and um like you know the, the cops come yep. in and they yeah, go through the whole thing those, yeah. and when the cop was like you're only gonna respond right like you can't practice for this and um I'd, I'd i've been around a few times for like gunshots going off but when that happened in the school and like you know he talked about like some of your different actions the things that they did the way that i responded i was like okay <laughs> i feel comfortable but at the same time i was really fearful because i was like the way that I responded was like, they were like, you know, hold the door of someone if you can, you know, don't let the shooter in. That was me. And I was like, oh, no, I'm the person who gets shot. I'm not going to go home to my kids. Yeah. Right? Because I'm like, I, it's such a terrible thing to think. But, like, why would I want to protect all of these kids here when I have my own kids at home? Yeah. But I know that I would. Yeah. Because I'm like, what am I? I? I couldn't have those kids not go to their parents. Yeah. Right? So, like, for me, I, I don't. I can't understand why guns are everywhere. I don't. I don't really get it. Um, I was never what. I've, I've never been into it. But yeah. um, I wasn't fearful of that. To be honest with you, the biggest thing that I'm very fearful of as a male teacher is being a male teacher in school and just having a poor reputation because of like Mr. Bruff said this or like some like sexual harassment thing. Uh, so for me, I I will not be by myself with a student. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really right. smart. Like a lot of the schools I was with. I hate with, to say, it, but was... I'm like a Mike Pence. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I need another person in here. You're gonna sit here with me, mm -hmm. so the and just like you and I are across the table from each yep. other, I'm like, you're gonna sit over. I'm gonna sit right here. Yep. And my students know it all the time. I'm like, you need to be two squares away. I want everyone to have no doubt mm -hmm. when they say, "Oh, this happened." Not with Mr. Ruff. He does not want you to come anywhere close. COVID has been wonderful for that. <laughs> let me tell you. So when the kids get close, you know, I'll, I'll have a few students sometimes at the end of the year be like, can I give you a hug? You're not a hug person. I'm like, actually, I am a hug person. But I am not a hug person with students. Like, I, I just don't, I don't ever want to be in that situation. Yeah, I, um, a bunch of the schools that I taught at, that was just kind of, that was like, 
the rule was you're not alone one-on-one -on -one with students. So you always needs to be a second person mm -hmm. there. And that's, I think that's something that's really important, period. I, I had a very scary situation. And what was scary about it more than anything was admin's response, which yeah. was abhorrent. So I was working, I had left a, a program that I adored. Uh, I had been in a program that was, I was a teacher in a school connected to a girl's residential. So girls been through hell, they were in the system. 95% of them were sexual trauma survivors. So much trauma, like anger behaviors, but I felt totally safe there. I never had an incident in my classroom. I had a great relationship and rapport. I had to leave because uh, my wife's job where we were living, I just couldn't, I made this really long commute for a mm -hmm. year there and I just, I couldn't do it another year. Um, yeah. And it broke my heart to leave this school. Um, and now that I live back in this area, I'll drive through Concord, I drive past the, the where the school was all the time. And I think back equal parts like fondly and, and, and really missing these students and thinking about the impact they left on me and feeling really terrible that maybe I didn't do enough for them. And a lot of them are struggling at this point in life. Um, so I have all these feelings when I drive through there, but that was a great experience for me in the moment teaching. That was not the scary part working there. I left the job that I took because it was closer uh, distance wise where we were living was for a collaborative program, which, uh, you know, it's like there are these coll collaborative, basically, schools where different districts, yeah. they all send their kids to them. And uh, I was thrown into this classroom with awful administrative support. And the classroom was a mess. There was no systems in place, no nothing. New admin that was totally out of touch um, was, not, <laughs> was not the situation that I thought I was going to be getting into. We had like six students who all had different IEPs and needs and like some of them needing one-on-one. -on -one. I'll never forget, I had two kids that were nonverbal. I, I, even though I was a special ed teacher, I taught very academic-minded kids for the most part. Two kids in my classroom are nonverbal. Their IEPs call for a one-to-one, -one, each needing one-to-one -one at all times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, two kids that are pretty high achieving that are in there that, you know, they need to be pushed academically. Another kid who is a bolter who just bolts <laughs> and then uh, another another kid and we didn't have the staff to give these kids one-to-ones they weren't giving us the staff i'm like we're it's, in like, it's against the law yeah, exactly i was telling them that it's against like from day one yeah. and the admin didn't like me because i'm from, di from day one i'm saying we are not compliant with uh, uh we are not compliant with their iep right? ieps wow. yeah um and uh so that's going on. We, we don't have the staff. So it's like we're not for these people that are one-to-one. -one, then we can't get these kids, like, to the mainstream classes, the, the more studious ones, because they're supposed to have a support there in the mainstream classes. But if we send the support, there's, like, nobody here in this classroom. Yeah. With the kids. Anyway, it was a really dangerous situation to begin with that I was letting admin know. But at one, we had actually we had done an Alice drill, all this. But sometime later, one of my students was really struggling, and he is kind of getting dysregulated and then he says to me point blank he's really upset he's like i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna get a gun oh jeez. and so immediately alarm bells are going he says this to me i'm you know i call my boss i call like you know um my boss's response because we're we were housed in a, a suburban school but we were part of a different yeah so call my boss immediately she number one is like don't don't tell the principal of the school that we're in. And I'm like, why would we not? This is in his school. 
but that's what she, she wants. It takes her forever to come over. We're trying to get in touch with the kids' parents. We're trying to, you know, we do tell the school district. We do, t- like, tell, I just said, no, we're telling the principal. We tell the principal, resource officer, all that stuff. So my, the admin comes in, and she is, like, talks with the kid. His parents come, whatever. And then he's just going to get sent home. And I'm like, hey, what's going Every school I've worked in before, there's safety plans, there are protocols, there's everything. I'm like, what is going on? Like, what, what is the safe? And she's like, oh, he's going to go home with his parents. They say that he's safe. Uh, and, and his safety plan is he's going to, like, write up something. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Number one, they say they don't have any guns. Like, number one, just because, because they say something doesn't, doesn't mean, mean anything. Doesn't mean it's true. I awful know. lot of kids get guns from their parents. Yeah. Like, two, there needs to be a serious safety protocol in place. Luckily, the principal of the school I was in, the actual school, was like, um, he can't be back in our population until he is, gets a, an eval. Yeah. So, okay, he needs an, he needs a, an eval. My wife is a, is a, runs a private practice now, she's trauma work, clinical social worker. Like, she's, I'm talking to her, too. Like, what, are, what does this kid need? She's like, yeah, he definitely needs an eval. My... The admin, my boss, is supposed to be setting all... And she's just like, oh, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like... So every day for like a, for like weeks, I'm just sitting with this kid. I'm supposed to be the teacher. But because he keeps getting brought into school, and he's not allowed to go into the general pop of the school. <laughs> and he's... he's uh, I'm laughing because it was terrifying to me. Yes, I am too. It was That's fucking terrifying. Like this kid, they said that this kid. So kid, the kid, kid can't go to Gen Pop, bring, but he's gonna hang with you. He's gonna bring a. He's gonna bring a gun. And, We're only and making it worse. He's just yeah. getting sent. And yes, exactly. He's spiraling yeah. every day because he's so embarrassed, freaked out that he said that, like, and then like he's not getting the eval. The, the, our the the collabor the collaborative that I'm, I'm teaching for is supposed to be setting up this eval, finding someone that can do it, you know, like getting him screened, basically. Um, and they're not doing it. And the kid's mom is understandably freaking out and is, mm-hmm. you know, calling me. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, this is what they're saying. This is, and yes, he he needs to be eval, like, and to be screened safety-wise. And they're not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. <laughs> and I am every day emailing and calling my, my boss, who's the assistant program director, like, what are like this is not safe we're not like i don't feel safe i'm in here every day and they fired me because my your first your first 90 well you know it's because your first 90 days okay even though i was part of the union your first 90 days at a new school even when you're union at least this was this was back 2019 yeah 2019 uh i don't know if it's changed since then but your first 90 days, uh, you can your district can let you go without call, for any reason. They don't need cause. And so they just, because I kept being like, so this kid is not being evaled. He's in my classroom. And then he keeps spiraling. And once again, he will say gun because he knows he's not supposed to. <laughs> so he keeps tough. saying it. And, so I've and never experienced. It was horrifying. And then luckily I went from there to the best teaching setting I've ever had. Okay. I went, I, I got... An amazing job, loved it, and then COVID came, and then everything was changed forever. But, um, you know, luckily my last experience teaching wasn't this horrible situation that was terrifying. Yeah. But um, it was an amazing situation after that. But it was it was terrifying, and it was to me 
like admin makes a big difference and and i saw it they definitely do i felt very supported um the principal that hired me in lexington uh she took me out of a line it was like winchester or somewhere else she took me out of the line <laughs> to, to come talk to me and um if I ever needed anything, I could go to her. Uh, she's definitely personally still keep in touch with. Um, she's she's since retired from my district. Um, my principal now, similarly, where if you ask for something and you're clear about it, like hey, I need this, um, I've you know I've felt supported with that. Um, I, and I don't I don't know if it's a. I think it's like got to be like a cultural thing within a district. I think in teaching. Yeah. Um, I also think you have to have like a lot of support. I, I know it's tough. I know it's very tough because you can have admin that really wants to do it and their hands can be tied, mm-hmm. right? There could be the school committee, right? The school committee could also be really pushing the district in a certain direction. Uh, but a lot of times when they're on the same page, there's a lot that can be done. Um, I, I, would, I wouldn't say my district's perfect. I'd, I'd say we, we, I've enjoyed it very well. <laughs> I've found a lot of success there and I think a lot of other people have too. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, I know if I sent anyone an email, I know I could get a meeting. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a lot to that. Um, I feel like if I asked them something, I feel like they'd consider it. And I don't think that that's the case everywhere. Um, the superintendent was just in my classroom this summer, like reading to students. And I was like, hey, you know, like, thanks for coming. Um, like hey, you're coming to my classroom too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And that's not lip service. That's actually yeah. she's really gonna mm-hmm. do it. Um, you know, she's constantly asking. Like she will ask me a detailed question about my class, <laughs> like like things that we've actually done. Because she's come in, and I'm like, oh, like like you remembered this. Like you seem invested. So uh, it is nice to have that. Um, and I know that that's that's not everywhere. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you coming and, and taking time with us. We went way over with the time ah, that no, I had told no. you, but it was just it was an awesome conversation. So, I mean, thank you so much for, for, for joining us tonight. Yeah, no, thank you for having me and love to come back, man. That'd appreciate be awesome. you coming in, man. Thank yeah. you.